We love to hear from God and His Word. That's what we're going to do this morning. We're continuing our series called Interventions. Today, uh, we see that one way that God intervenes in our lives is by initiating a conversation with us. We see this in the prophet Daniel. And so if you would, turn with me to the Old Testament book of Daniel, uh, chapter 9. So we're going to look at Daniel chapter 9 this morning. That's going to be on page 633 if you're using one of the Bibles we have provided for you. Um, Again, at the middle end aisles, chair pockets, you do want to have a Bible this morning to follow along. So Daniel chapter 9, more than any other prophet, Daniel displays in just this, such an inspiring way, a total dependence on God through prayer. And, And prayer, really at its core, is just having a conversation with God. And, and frankly, it's the only power, useful power, that Daniel has at his disposal. It's really all he's got. And before I go any further on the specifics about Daniel, and I do want to get into that, let me, let me just share with you a quick word picture I felt like the Holy Spirit gave me uh, re- regarding sort of depending on God prayer. About a year ago, I was walking in, in the woods Jesus to our home. Uh, I was walking with our boys out there. And a uh, spider in a tree caught my attention. It was just a simple image, but I watched the spider travel down from the safety of a tree by a single thread that he made for himself, and, and he just dangled right above a little chasm. We have a bunch of like caves and caverns and chasms sometimes in the woods, and you just saw him above this deep chasm just dangle there. And I just had this picture of how dependent we really are on God. We don't often reach out to God for help until we're like all hanging by a thread, right? Over that chasm. And then we're like, help! And yet, and yet, it's the same thread I hung, I hang by close to the safety of that tree, right? Close, close to the leaves and the, and the nest. Same thread. Same fragility of my life that I hang by. And yet I tend to only ask God for help when I'm over that chasm. God is sustaining our lives, friends, by by a thread. That's it. And some of you can testify to that from friends, family, loved ones who sometimes pass like that. And so Daniel is a man, is a prophet who, who dangled over a chasm as we see him this morning. Along with the rest of the Jewish people, Daniel was taken into captivity About 605 B.C., he was stripped of his home, his land. The presence of God made manifest in the temple where where you went to get close to God. And he was made to go to the city of Babylon, which was something like the current day Las Vegas. All right? And I mean like on the strip Las Vegas. Uh, Personally, I've never been to Las Vegas, but I've heard stories. And uh, apparently they're true. So that, the, the, Babylon was like the Las Vegas Strip of the ancient Near East. Before that, the big power of the ancient Near East was the Assyrians. Remember, they loved war for war's sake. Babylon loved pleasure for pleasure's sake. God, God said through the prophet Babel, uh, Habakkuk about Babylon, he said that justice goes forth from themselves. That the, whatever they thought to be right, whatever they thought to be good in their lives, they would do it. If it makes me happy, then that's good, that's fair, that's just, that's their standard of justice. Daniel, he gets imported into this place. All right, you can imagine, total fish out of water. But the great thing for Daniel, he's got a lot of things going for him. He's got wisdom, he's got learning, and that really serves the government. 
That serves the king. And so he goes and he serves the king. You can imagine the king, just like his people, was a man who loved his pleasure. And so Daniel was always around the king, was always tempted with passions and pleasures, trying to at least appease this king while also trying to please the king. He somehow manages to get through this exile that that spanned between three and four kings total a long time. And he keeps going by keeping up an ongoing conversation with God. God gives him strength through prayer. So for instance, we see in the rest of the book of Daniel that Daniel asks for guidance. He prays for guidance. Like the one time where nobody else can interpret a king's dream. And it was one of these vivid dreams that you you felt like when you woke up to and that, that has to mean something. So the king asked all these people. No one could figure it out. What does this mean? Daniel steps up and he says, let me pray and get back with you. After God provides an interpretation, Daniel prays these prayers of thanksgiving and adoration to God for him coming through and helping him. Daniel also prays habitually. All these times Daniel was tempted, been away from God's temple for so long, doesn't sense God's presence like he used to. And here comes the king. He says, look, I want everybody to pray to me. King of Babylon, I want everyone to pray to me. He issues a royal edict. He signs it into law. Of course, Daniel believes in one God. So in chapter 6, verse 10, it says this, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had the windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. In other words, he was praying towards the temple. He got down on his knees three times a day, three times a day, and he prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Daniel set this time three times a day for prescribed prayer, day after day, month after month, year after year. Daniel just kept seeking God through all the hardship, all the temptation, all the trials of his life. I want to tell you about my friend John Stevenson. I haven't seen John for 12 years, but I'll never forget him. And one reason I'll never forget him, to be honest, is every time I play the game Guess Who, remember the memory game Guess Who? Every time I play that with my niece, and I see the character Tom, God bless him, I see a spitting image of John. Like, that is my man, John Stevenson, up there. And the, but the main reason I'll never forget John is how he would always he would pray for Katie and I. And, and when he would pray, he'd often write down a message that he would get from God. He felt like he sensed God may want to communicate from us. Oftentimes it was just a straight scripture. And he would give us that scripture and he would write it down. But even when it wasn't a scripture, and he since God said the message was saturated with scripture. And, and these were things that we saw that were relevant to our lives, that we, we, we saw a connection so often in our lives, right? And we still have a folder to this day of, of all these messages that John gave us. And he since God was speaking to him. One evening at a, at a worship service, I asked John, I said, how is it that you seem to be so often hearing from God. Like, I want to know. And he said, you know, <clears throat> he always starts the conversation. And it's easy to hear him. Because I just opened this. Pointing to his Bible. Prayer at its core is, <clears throat> is a conversation with God. But we'll see in our text today that God intervenes in Daniel's life by initiating a conversation with him through his, <clears throat> through his word. Daniel receives a word from God by opening his Bible. And having received that word from God, Daniel takes a moment to reflect inward and think, how does what God is saying to me intersect with my life? 
And then finally, he, he makes pleads, he pleads with God. He asks God for help in a way that brings glory to him. And, and what's so neat about this prayer that we're going to read from Daniel is, is, I'm, is I'm less concerned with all the minutia of it, but see the movement of prayer. Because we see in Daniel's prayer the, the three sort of basic movements. Anytime we sit down to talk to God, the three basic movements of a conversation with God, which are outward, inward, and upward. That's it. Outward, inward, upward. So let's get started and look at this. First of all, outward. Let God, when you sit down and you talk with God, let God have the first word. And you might think the first movement in prayer is to go inward, right? Because who knows what I need better than myself, right? That's what I tend to think. I know God. I I know what I need. I'm just going to ask you. There's nothing wrong with that per se. But what if there was someone in the universe who knew what we needed to Four steps beyond what we can even see. Someone who knows the, the parts of our lives that we can't even understand for ourselves, and there is such a someone, what we would want to seek that person out and ask them, well, well what do you think? What do you think's going on? And that's what Daniel does. He, he looks outward and looks to God for the first word, for God to speak first. So let's read verses 1 through 3 of Daniel 9. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent of a Mede, that is um, a Persian, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, who were the Babylonians. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So what you see what Daniel does here, he lets God have the first word. And what is that word? We know for certain it's the prophet Jeremiah, right? He says that here. But almost certainly we know the specifics of what Daniel was reading. Nearly every commentator I look at would say, Daniel was reading specifically, almost certainly, Jeremiah 29, 10 through 14, which will be a familiar passage to some of you guys. Let's read it together. Here's what you can imagine. Daniel is just waking up in the morning. He's reading this passage because he just opens his Bible. And here's what he reads. This is what the Lord says. Jeremiah 29, 10-14. This is what the Lord says. When the 70 years are completed for Babylon, they'll be deported in Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to, to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carry you into exile. Now remember, 605 was the time of Daniel's captivity to Babylon. And Daniel reads this and is like, wait a minute. Okay. Captivity, 70 years. Okay. The first year of Darius, perhaps it's 539 BC. We know that he's only about four years away from this promise coming to fulfillment. He's reading, there's a promise that God's going to bring us back. He's going to restore our lives again. We're going to be in the fullness of his presence again. And it's only four years away. All just because he cracked open a Bible. Now Daniel has every reason at this point, in some ways we could say, 
to not pray. But he's just been given a promise, right? I'm going to restore you. I'm going to be back for you. You can count on me, says the Lord. But Daniel doesn't mistake confidence for presumptions and assumptions. Many of us ask that question. If God has planned something or promised something, then what's the point of praying? Daniel is the answer to that question here. Prayer is often the means through which God activates that promise. You might think of it like the promise like a fire extinguisher. All right? And that is going to bring the relief. That is going to put out the fire. That is the promise of life being restored. But I've got to knock on that glass. Right? And I've got to pound on it and pound on it until it breaks. And there's God's promise. You can always ask God to hasten his promise. And sometimes that's what he uses to make it true in our lives. That's why we see Daniel in ashes and sackcloth in verse 3. What sackcloth? That's weird, right? When do we ever use sackcloth? The only time I ever use sackcloth in my life is for like races as a kid. When I would get in a sackcloth bag and I would hop down and I'm like, what? I used to think as a kid, what do people do with these bags after they're done? I mean, what are they for? They like grain? Hay? I don't even know still. But here we are, and, and Daniel covers himself with this sackcloth. Usually, these things were made from animal skins, and as such, they were, they were an irritant to the human skin. Why would people do that? Because sackcloth physically spurred on Daniel not to get too comfortable. Not to get too comfortable with God's promise, but instead, call out to God. It says, call on him, seek, on, seek him, pray to him, like Jeremiah 29 commanded. And as he does, he's asking, hasten your promise, God. Bring it. Please make it true for us today. Now, it seems like I might be making a big deal of just a few verses, and specifically verse 2. This little detail that Daniel just opened his Bible, read Jeremiah one day, and you might argue, well, it's only one verse, right? It's just a passing thought. But that's exactly the point. That's exactly the point. Reading what God had to say was so, such a habit for Daniel, so routine, that it needs no longer than one verse. And Daniel probably authored Daniel, probably wrote it himself, so he's just like, yeah, yeah, I was reading the Bible one morning, because it's what I do. I want to hear from God. And that's what sparks that, that little, these little verses, it's what sparks these 16 verses of a fiery prayer that we're going to read from Daniel, just by looking outward to start. How might this then apply to us? How might we pray with such passion and boldness in our lives where you can't start a fire without a spark? Bruce Springsteen. The Bible then, God speaking to us, is our spark. This means finding a way to get ourselves in front of a Bible every day so that God might have that first word. And I know many of you hear this and feel immediately overwhelmed because you've tried this before. You've tried to get yourself in front of a Bible and resolve that. I'm going to read it every day. So you started, and when you did, you didn't get far. You got confused. You got frustrated, and I totally understand that. So let me just give you two simple suggestions, practical suggestions here. I want to encourage you to start maybe in a couple different places. I'm going to start with the Gospel of Mark. It's the, it's the shortest of all of Jesus' biographies. You get introduced to Jesus. You see the movements of his life, and it's, and it's easy to respond. Another suggestion would be to take home one of the Bibles we've provided. And you're welcome to take one home. You can find one, again, chair pockets, middle end of these aisles. Take one home. And, and just before the preface, in the first few pages of this Bible, you're going to see a 40-day reading plan. 
You're going to see a 40 day reading plan. Just use that. 40 of the most important passages in the Bible. You'll start with Genesis 1 and 2. And here's the encouragement when you crack open the Bible tonight or tomorrow morning to start that conversation with God, you are not opening a textbook. You're opening a living, breathing conversation with the living God. And that needs to be our mindset, I think. As we open the Bible to ask out loud, God, I'm opening this. What do you want to say to me? Maybe that's what we need, just a change of perspective when we open this thing. So as God speaks, the next movement in a conversation with him is to go inward. to, To consider how does this word intersect with my life. Over the years, reading and responding to God's word in my own life, I I just have jotted down about nine basic questions that I've since the Holy Spirit sort of asked me. And I'm just going to share them with you. You don't have to write these all down now. I'll put the notes online later. But, But here are just nine basic questions. When you read God's word, is there a command here to be obeyed? So when I read this passage, is there a command to be obeyed? Is there a promise to be believed? Is there a truth about God to be trusted? Is there a deed or quality about God to be praised? Number five, is there there a prayer to be prayed? Like we see in Daniel, right? Number six, is there a sin to be confessed? Number seven, is there a temptation to avoid? Number eight, is there an example to be emulated? Number nine, is there a need that Jesus, me, or the church can fulfill? These are questions that, very simple questions that we can see, okay, wait a minute, how am I supposed to respond to this? Does this text answer this question or this question or this question? That's a great place to start. So for example, if you're to open day one of your Bible reading plan from the Bibles we've provided in this 40-day reading plan, you'll read Genesis 1 and 2, as I mentioned. And as you read Genesis 1 and 2, all about how God created the heavens and the earth and God created us, you could use question three, you know, is there a true, sorry, question four, is there a deed or quality about God to be praised? Well, yeah. God made all of this around me. And I can praise him for his creation and my place in it. Or or maybe question one, is there a command to be obeyed? God gives human beings a responsibility for a garden, for creation. And you can ask the question, God, okay, how can I contribute to this garden of life? How can I care for the creation in which you entrusted us? Do you start to get the idea? We're supposed to interact with God's word in this way. We're supposed to say, okay, God, you're saying something to me how am I supposed to respond? So as Daniel reads Jeremiah, reflects on how, dang, how did I get imported, deported? Like, why did this happen to me and my people? He goes immediately to, to question six. Is there a sin to be confessed? And yes, there is. Let's read together, starting in verse four. We'll read through 15. So he gets in sackcloth and ashes. He responds to God's word and he says, I pray to the Lord my God. And I made confession saying, Uh, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebel, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, to all of Israel, those who are near, those who are far away, and all the lands to which you've driven them, because of the treachery they have committed against you, to us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we've sinned against you. To the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. 
and not obey the voice of the Lord our God walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servant, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us this great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. He sends his fire, right? I hope you do. He's going. As it's written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we've not entreated the favor of our Lord, turning from our iniquities, gaining the insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity, and he's brought it upon us. For the Lord is righteous in all his works, and in what he does, we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and have made a name for yourself as at this day. We have sinned. We have done wickedly. So Daniel confesses sin. And what sin, what, sorry, what confession does for us as Christians is reconnect us to the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what confession does. It, 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 we're simultaneously reminded why we needed Jesus to die for us and what he secured for us. He died for our sin. He died for our rebellion. He secured for us a right standing with God. To be right with God forever. 1 John 1, 1.9 says that we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. He wants to forgive us. He wants to con- reconnect with us again. And Daniel stresses, interestingly, his prayer. This is what I would mention about it. The role of leadership in prayer. Thrice, right? Verse 6, verse 8, verse 12. He talks about kings, princes, our fathers, our rulers. We haven't listened and instead have sinned against you. Then in a remarkable twist, Daniel counts himself amongst the leadership. You notice when we read all the we's and us's. I counted up 16 times. Daniel says, we and us. One time he says, I. 16 times he includes himself. Yet Daniel, from everything we know about Daniel, he represented the best about Israel. He's a man of faith in, in the face of constant temptation. Yet in his prayers, he's willing to count himself among those who rebelled against God. Later in the history of God's people, Jesus of Nazareth, who, who represented the best of God's people, a man of faith in the midst of, midst of constant temptation, would put himself between two thieves and count himself among those who rebelled against God. Reminds us of Jesus, doesn't it? What Daniel does here. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says that God made Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us so we might become the righteousness of God so we could become right with God one day. Jesus counts himself among the rebels just as Daniel did. What, and what a, what a challenge for all of us who lead in some capacity to, to examine our lives and, and take responsibility where we can for failure, for weakness, for even sin. When no one would blame us for choosing to complain we instead confess. Humble ourselves and confess. Whether we're bosses, fathers, husbands, mothers, mentors, teammates, and certainly pastors. This week in particular, I, I really reflect on all the times we've held prayer vigils as a church. We've held these prayer vigils where we try to gather as a church together to, to seek God's face. And instead of complaining to God like I often or maybe complaining to someone else, because we haven't had great participation in prayer vigils recently. And my, my, my temptation is to complain about that. But I read God's word, and it challenged me to look at my own failures, look at myself, and be real and say, look, 
I need to get alongside my friends. I need to get alongside people. And the first thing we do, or, or make sure we pray together, I need to do that more. I need to preach on prayer. And that's what we're going to do. I mean, this is a movement starting here with Daniel that we're going to start to look at prayer and the role it has in our lives over the next month or so. So I want to encourage you to, after posturing yourself to outward hear from God, look inward and see how that word intersects with our lives. And finally, appeal to God by directing your prayers upward. These are bold requests upward. And I don't mean simply directing your prayers to heaven, but orienting our prayers to bring fame to God's name, to appeal to God that his name might become more famous in this world and among, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our family, in our lives. It's interesting when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray after first addressing God as Father, what does he say? First thing he says, hallowed be thy name. That's just a a fancy way of saying, God, more than anything, may your name be esteemed, cherished, glorified, honored, become more famous. The first way we're supposed to pray is that way. Because God takes maximum pleasure in his getting glory, his name getting famous, for the Father to become a name brand. More more in the world we live in. Which, by the way, Sounds at first kind of selfish, doesn't it? We hear that. that God just wants more fame and glory for himself. That can sound to us as human beings selfish. If I were to say, right, hey, guys, I'm Ryan. Uh, I just want to be clear. I'm here to get more fame and and recognition and have a better reputation on the island. What would you guys say? Hopefully you'd walk out. That's a bad sign any church you go to. If the pastor says that, that's, that's bad. That's bad. But what would you feel? You think, man, mine thinks he's the center of the universe, but that's the thing. God is the center of the universe. He is. When God gets praise and glory to his name, all is right in the world. He is where he is supposed to be. He is the center of the universe. And that's when all is right with him and the way we're oriented in our lives, all then is right with us. So after Daniel looks out to hear from God, sees how God's word intersects with his life, he appeals to God's fame to answer his prayer. Let's read together verses 16 through 19, the last movement of prayer here, looking upward. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem, all your people have become a byword among all those who are around us. Now therefore, O Lord our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for your mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, because we're good people, right? But because of your great mercy, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention. Act. Delay not for your own sake. Oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Did you see that theme there? For your name, for your sake, God, hear us, please. What I hear in these verses are, are, are bold requests fueled by fame, God's fame. Daniel can act, pray so boldly, right? Act, hear, forgive, pay attention, don't delay. And for many, you're like, is Daniel ordering God here? 
No, he's being bold because of what he goes on to say in verse 19. For your own sake, my God, because of your city, your people who are called by your name. He can be bold in asking God for help because it's not for his own sake ultimately. It's for God to receive more glory, more fame, and more honor. Which, and here's a little hint for you, ultimately brings us more pleasure. Once we know what God is saying, we figure out how to respond. We should be asking the question then, how can my request bring more fame to God's name? How can what I'm sensing God is saying, how it intersects with my life, what do I need here? What can I say? Ask the question, how can this bring more glory and honor to God? And if it can't, what you ask for, don't, don't sweat it. I mean, God wants you to pray for him about anything. Just come to him. But you may want to back off the boldness. If you can't pray for what you're praying for, and it doesn't bring glory and honor to God and spread his fame, you may not want to be as bold as Daniel. Here, pay attention. Ag, don't delay. I'll give you a real-life example from our own lives. We have a vacation rental that's attached to our home. It's the only way we can afford our home, quite frankly. Uh, and we have a goal. I mean, very forthright with you. We, we basically got to make about 20000 U.S. a year to pay for everything and maybe have a little bit left over to take Katie for dinner. But I'm talking like Kurt's Corner, Welly's Cool Spot, Purple Monster kind of dinner here. I mean, we're not like, yeah. <laughs> if I pray, God, please help us exceed this goal by 10000 a year so we don't have to worry. Maybe we can go on a trip. I start to think about the second thing, right? Um, yeah, I guess we could technically share stories about God's provision and everything he's done in our lives, share testimony. But if I really examine my heart, I see, yeah, I'm not really asking this for your glory and your fame and your honor, God. So I'm going to back off how I plead with you. Such bull. I'm not going to say, God, here, act, delay, extra 10 grand. But if there's a need for provision for, for more rentals over, over the next month because we're otherwise staring down debt in our lives. And I think, as I apply number one, God, we're completely dependent on you. We're praying with our kids, our community group, our friends. So we want to see that, the Father, that you really do provide daily bread. And when they see that, it will bring you more fame and more honor because you're so faithful to provide exactly what we need. And we can share praise reports. And that's what I'm doing now because this is a true story. Very recently in our lives, over the last few weeks, we, we did pray boldly. We said, God, hear, act. Please pay attention. Don't delay. And you know what? Literally within an hour, check my email. We got a new request for a rental. That's what God does. That's how we witness God respond to Daniel's prayer also. Look at me, verses 20 through 23. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, presenting my plea before the Lord God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me, saying, Oh, Daniel, I have now come to you to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word, understand the vision. And so God listens to Daniel's fame-saturated plea. He sends an angel and basically goes on to tell Daniel, hey, I'm going to restore Jerusalem. I'm going to return your life. I'm going to give you uh, the presence of my glory again. I'm going to be with you again. God is committed to the fame of his name. So let, let's you and I, Listen, can you imagine an entire church where every member 
Every single one of us just open their Bible every day. You don't have to read more than a few verses. Just say, God, I want to hear from you. And, and, and as we do so, we humbly turn inward and, and we hear from God and we ask God, how does this intersect with my life? And then we pray boldly saying, God, okay, I understand now. I see how you want me to pray. Bring glory to your name by how I respond. Bring, bring glory to your name by how you're going to answer this prayer. Can you imagine being part of such a church? We would be a light, not only to this nation, but to the nations. May we be such a church. And rather than just talk about it, we're going to start practicing it right here and now today. We're going to make some space to practice a conversation with God here and now.